Chapter 20 The city was prepared for war. Ray cannons surmounted each of the five aerial gates. A great spherical boulder was positioned to close the ground gate. Ballastae along the rest of the wall bore power stone tipped bolts that could shatter an enemy ship engine core. New hyperbolic mirrors hung from each side of the extrusion. With crews trained to focus mirror ray beams on the ground armies, every day, more Carafros were requisitioned and retrofitted for air to air and air to ground combat. The Halfside Guard had doubled in size. Each soldier groomed for fanatical loyalty and trained in the use of Glaceon's arsenal of new weaponry. The Health Corps were equally numerous, well equipped, and driven. They moved among the populace administering serum, clearing out the final few cases of Thysis, and stockpiling contagions for use in strafing runs against the invaders. Halcyon artificers worked day and night on designs Glaceon had left for a power stone charging machine. When activated, such a device would charge an empty power stone, absorbing the life force of every plant, animal, and soldier in a large radius. Halcyon was not the only city braced for siege. The four other loyal city-states, Nyoron, Seton, Phonon, and Orlison, were similarly accoded and entrenched. Each could withstand the full fury of the Thran Alliance, as the barbarians called their motley force. The Thran Alliance wanted Halcyon and her champion, Yalmoth. They could send only token forces at the other city-states. Once those forces were overrun, Yalmoth would call his loyal eugenicist soldiers from the cities to converge on the barbarian army. The war was as good as won already. Yalmoth's greatest weapon of all was the single power stone he held in his hand. The size of two clenched fists. The crystal was perfectly formed. Its facets were flawless and manifold. Its core was as dark as the blind eternities. This crystal would capture the essence of his paradise and would carry it into the caves of the damned. There, the stone would be split, creating a permanent portal from Dominaria to Phyrexia. Dyfed stood beside him in the core of Phyrexia. The stench of death was gone. The oozing corpse had been cleared away. No trace of the dragon's crumpling bulk remained. Yalmoth and his healing core had meticulously cataloged each tissue. Bits of planeswalker beasts filled the old infirmary in the city. The sphere it had ruled had been scoured. Not a fragment of the world's former master remained. Yalmoth was the master of Phyrexia now. You're certain you want to perform this ritual? Dyfed asked. A mortal man might not survive the onrush of energies. Only a planeswalker. Planeswalkers? Mortals? Yalmoth dismissed. I have dissected the planeswalker who ruled here. I have peered into every tissue, parsayed every organ. There was not a single mystic part. He was a biological creature, as I am. It was this chamber that made him a god, and this chamber will make me a god as well. I will survive. How can you know that? I felt it, Yamoth replied. His voice rang with metallic grandeur as he paced outward along the sphere. He walked until he stood on one curved wall, perpendicular to Dyfed. He crouched, his hand finally tracing the inner belly of the sphere. I felt it. As I tricked each scale free of the dead creature, as I conveyed each sinew outward, I felt the hunger of the chamber grow. Piece by piece, it lost its last master. Piece by piece, it has accepted me as its new master. Dyfed crossed her arms. You will be a conduit for every energy in the world. Actuality and potentiality will pass through you to imprint the stone. Once begun, the power surge will continue to completion, even if you are burned away in the process. I have already become a conduit for these energies. I can see through the eyes of the serpents on the first sphere. I can sense each ember lying dormant in the fourth level furnaces. I can course along the crystalline base of the oil sea. I can make the world breathe and cease breathing. 
But you aren't a planeswalker, Yawgmoth, Dyfed reminded. Yawgmoth's eyes flashed, and he stood. I will become one. You can't become one, Dyfed said. It is something that a person is born with. It is a seed of greatness. Only one in a billion has it. The seed is not in you. How do you know? Yawgmoth demanded, striding down the wall toward her. Because planeswalkers can sense it in others, it is a smell of destiny. Yamoth's lips drew to a straight, white line. His eyelids quivered tauntly. You are wrong about me. I am destiny incarnate. I will change the world for all time. I will change the multiverse. Dyfed flashed a cocksure grin. All right. You want to be a god? Let's see how well you do it. I'll be back to pick up the stone. If you survive. She disappeared, leaving Yamoth alone in the inner sanctum. The moment she was gone, the chamber took hold of him. There was no physical change. The sphere remained intact, but muscles of magic converged around him and lifted him high. It was like being caught in the convulsion of a gigantic heart. The intense pressure burst his mind wide open. He spewed out through the arteries and the vessels of the world. He moved through the labyrinth of pipes on the third sphere. His consciousness flowed through serpent waters and leapt among flea machines. Thoughts ticked along electrical conduits and rolled through cascades of oil. Forests became neural networks. Fault lines became creaking joints. Moraines became muscles. His former body was but a ruptured skin. And then, even less than that. Not even a memory. The world was his whole body. It had always been. It would always be. The cosmologies of human minds were simplistic figures drawn in dirt. Immutable mortality became an ooze of chemicals across cell membranes. No single thought held before that moment was large enough, or loud enough, or true enough to remain in Yalmoth's transformed mind. Every mode of death was part of him. Every creature was his to command. He could comprehend the whole in a single thought and could sense any single particle by merely willing it. He breathed. The world breathed. Ten thousand furnaces fired on the fourth level. Soot rolled from a hundred thousand chimneys on the second. Cyclones spawned and danced across the world, tickling it savagely. A sudden terror welled in every beast and plant across the spheres. A terror that gave way into the next moments to trembling ecstasy. They knew. The dying world they knew was no longer dying. We are alive. We are alive. We are alive. It was recognition, an adulation, an obscience all in one. The world flooded through him and into the crystal he held. All that was real etched its perfect replica there. Suddenly, the world retreated around Yamoth. He shrank. The sensation was like plummeting from a great height. The mind that moments before had comprehended a whole new universe now resided in the minuscule brain pan of a normal man. Something had intruded between the gods and his cosmos. Something. Or someone. He realized his hands were empty. The power stone was gone. Yama staggered, going dizzily to his knees. You needn't bow before me, Dyfed quipped, suddenly beside him. A simple thanks would be enough. Gritting his teeth, Yamoth gasped. I had no intention of bowing before you. You survived, Yamoth, Dyfed said evenly. That is good. I've come to fetch you. The permanent portal is open. I cracked the stone atop a mirror pedestal. Nothing could close the portal except an identical charged power stone placed on the pedestal. She offered him a hand, and he took it. Before he could rise, Dyfed pulled away from the world. They sailed through empty spaces, the planeswalker tall and regal, 
and the erstwhile god crouched and dizzy. In moments, they arrived in the first sphere. The blind Eternities fell away, leaving Yalmoth and Dyfed to stand on the grassy plains beside the gorge forest. Just before them yawned a large, round doorway into darkness. Dyfed gestured through it. Beyond lie the caves of the damned. Letting go of her hand, Yalmoth drew the scintillating curtain of darkness. He stepped out into a night-black cave. Directly before Yalmoth stood the pedestal Dyfed had spoken of, a low platform edged by mirrors. The light of Phyrexius shone dazzling from it. On the far side of the pedestal slipped a large book made of steel and glass. It was carved with strained glyphs, planeswalker spells that anchored the portal in space and time. The whole assemblage was connected with radiating wires to the ceiling of the cave. It was an elaborate contraption, but it had a simple purpose, to open a permanent portal between Dominaria and Phyrexia. The mirror pedestal was a giant lock, and in the midst of the wires lay the key, the broken power stone. Though Yalmoth had once infused that stone with the essence of the whole world, the crystal now lay black and empty in ragged halves atop the pedestal. Yalmoth reached past the wires. He touched the stones and felt their smoldering heat. A final few sparks of power jittered along the edges of crystal. Taking a deep breath, he lifted the two halves of the sundered crystal. There was no sense allowing someone to duplicate the stone and close the portal. Yalmoth placed the halves into a pocket of his robe. He would have to hide these hunks in a safe place. A safe place. A sharpened toothed smile broke across his face. There came a whispering moan from the cave beyond. Yalmoth lifted his head and made out the source of the sound. The next cavern was crowded wall to wall with watchful, fearful faces. They peered out of utter darkness. Their eyes squinted against the glow that enveloped him. Beneath slitted eyes were cheeks ravaged with thysis. Patients lay in their treatment capsules, a cemetery of open caskets, the dead awaiting resurrection. Among the capsules stood armored and veiled health corps workers. They were coated in the same smooth white metal as the capsules. Patients and healers waited in silence. They waited to enter the sunbright door. Yalmoth lifted his hands before them. He shouted in a voice that was half-laugh. Welcome, my children. Welcome to Phyrexia. Yalmoth was to study in a long-suffering sympathy as he sat on the metal catwalk beside Glaison's healing capsule. Above the white scarf that protected mouth and nose, Yalmoth's eyes were grim slits. His hand hung in resignation between his knees, and he stared at the emptied framework all around him. The quarantine cave had been vacated of all its other patients and seclusion caskets. Every last one was en route to the new infirmary. Every last one except Glaceon. Says he is no longer willing to submit to these unusual procedures. Rebecca delicately translated to Yalmoth. She too wore a mask to protect her from the contagious man. He says he is done with skin grafts and needles and enzymatic salves. He would be dead if it were not for them, Yalmoth objected, eyes fixed on the healer's bag at his feet. You and your genesis monsters, slurred Glaceon nonsensically. You and your mad scientists. I've seen the hacksawed limbs. I've seen the faces stitched back together. I've seen the abominations you hide away in the living sarcophagi. He says he's finished with the healing core. He says he doesn't want any more treatments. He says he wants his machines hooked back up, Rebecca said. His machines are power stone driven, Yamoth protested. They were killing him. Haven't you told him about the new infirmary? Haven't you told him about the new world? Exacerbation pinched Rebecca's face. Of course I told him. He doesn't believe it. He thinks it's just another of your tricks. Yama stood suddenly, looming over the figure lying, leprous and pathetic, within the treatment capsule. There are oil baths, glistening oil, 
It soaks in his skin and reconstitutes it. It gets in the blood and helps to draw power stone radiation away from tissues. There are new procedures. Some patients are stronger than ever before. There's even a promising new therapy. Implanting an uncharged power stone into the thigh muscle to draw excess energies into it. Those with the implants have been virtually healed. Their own immune systems redoubled. They are regrowing new skin, new muscle, new tissues. Some are even getting taller. No more, hissed Glaceon. You already dragged me down into this crypt. You already flayed my life away tissue by tissue. You can't take me to another world and make me a monstrosity. He says he doesn't want to go, Rebecca said. Yamat stared a moment longer at the ruin of scabs and scales within the hermetic folds of the capsule. Well, I was going to wait until you were in the infirmary to tell you the good news. What good news? Rebecca asked. Yalmoth glanced at her. I think I might have discovered why your husband hasn't responded to any of the treatments that have worked for others. Don't listen to him, growled Glaceon. He has no cures, only death. Hush, I want to hear this, she told him. What is it, Yalmoth? What have you found? Nothing. He's found nothing. It goes back to the infection. He was stabbed by Gix with a charged power stone. Glaceon spluttered. Yes. Gix, your henchman. Hush! Rebecca insisted. And the power stone imploded shortly after it was removed from the wound. Yalmoth continued. It was damaged in the attack. A sliver of that stone might remain in him. A charged sliver. Perhaps that's why his degeneration has continued. The sliver is contaminating him. If I could just reopen the wound and remove it. There is no sliver, Glaceon roared. Rebecca looked at Yalmoth, her eyes searching. You really think that is true? You really think a hunk of charged stones remain in him? You think that removing it can make him better? Yalmoth's eyes were utterly serious. I do. Drawing a deep breath, Rebecca whispered, I don't want him to feel any pain. Yalmoth nodded. He reached in the bag of implements, slipped gloves onto his hand, and pulled forth a ready needle bladder. With a swift, expert motion, he jabbed the needle into Glaceon's hip and squeezed. I can't believe you let him... Glaceon slumped, as if dead, his eyes rolling back in lidless sockets. Rebecca released a small cry and leaned over her husband's face. Her fingers hovered fretfully just above his ravaged features. She wanted to close those rolling eyes, could not stand the look of them, but she knew better not to touch him. Meanwhile, Yalmoth busied himself over the scar on Glaceon's abdomen. The wound had closed and reopened numerous times over the years, and it cracked like a milkweed pot splitting open. Yalmoth pulled, revealing a mounded bolus of pus. It was packed and curdied beneath the infected spot. I'll have to widen the cut, Yalmoth said. Rebecca turned her eyes away. Whatever you need to do. She stooped to pull another pair of gloves from the medical bag and donned them. Gently closing her husband's eyes, she caressed his scaling face. Soft tears dropped onto his pillow. It's going to be all right, my love. He's going to heal you. He's going to heal us all. Yalmoth worked busily. He was gingerly removing chunks of white and red fibrous material from the wound. The pocket of infection had formed beneath the muscular wall of Glaceon's abdomen, packed in beside his internal organs. Yalmoth scooped the last material free, snatched up a fistful of gauze, doused it with alcohol, and swapped out the interior of the bolus. Despite the tranquilizer, Glaceon bucked in the healing capsule. Rebecca hugged his jiggling head and whispered soothing words. 
Yamal finished with the gauze. Rebek glimpsed a large power stone in his hand, perhaps a light source, and then Yamoth craned over the separating sore, peering in. He gave a small gasp of discovery and seemed to reach one arm in, almost to the elbow. When he drew it out, blood streamed along the hairs of his arm and beneath his insufficient glove. Between the fingers of the glove, he clasped a glowing silver power stone. Its gleam was dim beneath a sinewy capsule that had grown around it. Sanguine mucus encased the sliver. Through its sheath, the crystal glowed. This is it, he said. This is what's been killing your husband. Rebecca stared at the flesh encapsulated stone. Hatred and hope warred in her eyes. He'll get better now. You watch, Yama said as he set aside the sliver. Already, he had pulled a needle from his pack, threaded it, and was stitching up the wound. You watch.